I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we are coming to you from the Kodo at the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for October 3rd, 2008, and our topic today is No Self. Today, uh, we decided to take up a somewhat difficult topic, uh, this doctrine of No Self for lack of a better term, although it could be probably translated in different ways. And uh, this is a very distinctive part of uh, Buddhist thought. Uh, It's a very difficult part of Buddhist thought and maybe often misunderstood. Uh, I think there's different approaches to it, Uh, but because it is uh, part of it and it does come up, we decided to give it a whirl. To tackle it. Tackle it. As best as we possibly could. Yes. Uh, this idea, no self, uh, the Sanskrit would be anatman. I'd like to start off with the, the kind of technical term, get it out of the way, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Atman <coughs> is often translated as self. Uh, it comes from the Indian worldview at the time of the Buddha, maybe from the Upanishads. And it's self, soul, ego. There's different ways to translate it. I personally kind of prefer self because soul has some other connotations that may or may not be involved. Ego brings to mind Freud in a very like kind of specific view, right? So let's just call it self for now. Okay. And I'll I'll seed that point. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. One. (laughs) One, zero. Harry, one. (laughs) Scott, nothing. There's a couple of ways that this Atman can be understood. And one is, well, self, of course, as like a person kind of self, that I'm me. When I say I, that I is referring to this self. And the other way is self as kind of a universal self, great self. Uh, in in uh, the Upanishads, it says Atman is Brahman. Mm-hmm. Brahman is one of the deities of, of this Indian a worldview, and that kind of the true nature of the universe is this Brahman self, this great self. And then if we realize that my self, my small self, is identifiable with this great self, that's awakening, right? Right In this Indian, quote-unquote, Hindu kind of view. But the Buddha rejects this and has this doctrine of anatman, or no self, right. not self which I think can refer to either that there's this kind of universal world spirit or self or God or something. It denies that, uh, but it also denies this that there's a self here in me. Hmm. It's very confusing because it certainly seems like there's a self. right? But you're wrong. But I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't like to bring this up actually very often, uh, this idea of no self, because it is so complicated, counterintuitive to our own experience. But it's got some really interesting points, too. So so let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. Step I, outside. <laughs> <laughs> That's inter- I just think this is interesting because I actually like talking about no self. But maybe it's because I like being contrary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll cede you that point. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Harry won. Scott won. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. We're, we're, well, let's get serious then. Okay. Um, and <laughs> if we can. If we can. <coughs> it, it comes up in various uh, Buddhist texts. Yeah. And so we can find it in the Pali texts. We, yeah. And, and according to some of the boring scholarly books I have sitting on the table, um, it, it comes up in relationship to the very first noble truth, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about in our last episode about suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one quote in here, which is strange. It says that the reason why there's no self is because of suffering, but I'm not quite sure if I follow that logic without reading the original Pali, which right. I'm not about to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting in the sense that the Buddha is talking about what appears to be a self, mm-hmm. but he breaks it down. Right. So I think actually the first place to start is with what he breaks it down to, which are the five skandhas. Which we talked about last time as well. We did? Yeah. Because no. the five raging skandhas. The right? five raging skandhas. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. So it is related to suffering in a way. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of these ideas are beginning to kind of come back. Right. Whew. Oh, good. You can actually maybe follow this in some yeah. <laughs> weird logic, <laughs> the history of our podcast. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the five skandhas to review are form, feeling, perception, consciousness. You talk. I'll find them. (laughs) I'm not good at this list. Um, It's basically saying that there's not this this, uh, unitary, uh, permanent kind of self, but that if you look, you find that it's broken into these five skandhas. The form, can, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. Uh-huh. Oh, those mental formations get That's, you every time. Right, because it sounds so much like consciousness, mm-hmm. but it's not. I think mm-hmm. the mental formations refers specifically to uh, thoughts and feelings and emotions, which we don't necessarily have consciousness of, mm-hmm. I think. Ooh, okay. That's my take on it anyway. Mm-hmm. But the point is that each that the sum total of those five khandhas is what creates us as sentient beings, and you can't have any one of them without the other four. None of them are permanent. Um, and they're all marked with suffering. Mm-hmm. And as a result of their interconnectedness, impermanence, and suffering, there is no self. Yeah. Interesting, huh? These yeah. ideas, the suffering, uh, five skandhas, the impermanence. Right? So impermanence uh, in, and no self, I think, are, are related. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's another um, important later text, still, I think, from the Pali tradition, The Questions of King Nilanda. That's what I'm trying to remember is uh, the name of the king, because I don't want to give you the wrong name. Uh, But in there, too, uh, the king is talking to a monk, and they're having this kind of back and forth, and it kind of comes up of uh, where is the self, right? Is, Is the mind the self? No, is the body the self? No, right? So he kind of breaks it down mm-hmm. in a different way, right? And says it's kind of like a, um, the chariot. Hmm. Are the wheels the chariot, right? Or is the axle the chariot? And he breaks it down into these different parts and says that you can't find the chariot existing. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of this combination of all these things, but it doesn't exist in, in any uh, separate kind of form. Uh, so this, um, and I think there's a... Uh, metaphor of a house too 
where the Buddha talks about uh, this house. Are the beams the, the house? No. Are the walls the house? Is the roof the house? And actually, Ray's High, the Roof Beams Carpenter by... Uh, J.D. Salinger. Yeah, Salinger. One that of my comes, favorite. Comes from the, the Buddhist text. That's uh, what he's referring to. Hmm. Uh, so it's in, it'd be... I've read the book. It'd be interesting to read back and think about it in terms of no self. That might be interesting. The Salinger book? Yeah. Raise high the roof beams, carpenters. Like yeah. It's about the self and the formation to the self. Sort of. So, no, the the title. Oh, I know, but I mean, uh, uh, when I was in college, I was very much into Salinger, and mm-hmm. I read a lot of literary criticism about his collected works. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway, this is not important. <laughs> well, no, it, but I, maybe <laughs> well, we could come up with a new interpretation. The, uh, some of, some of the literary scholars would say that um, he is influenced by Buddhist thought, but he's more influenced by Vedic thought. Ooh. Um, and that I think that what he's doing with race High the roof beam carpenters is talking about the construction of this character that re- is a recurring character in many of the stories named Seymour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that phrase comes from Buddhism, but most of Seymour's life can be read as more of like a, um, an Indian Hindu or Vedic, uh, uh, I don't want to say monk, but a sage like character. Um, and there's, and there's int- it's actually interesting because at one point Salinger actually writes this weird sort of missive about um, the beat poets of his time and the sort of beat generation Buddhists of his time and sort of dismisses them as um, uh, not real Buddhists or not real religious people. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like this. He's also contrarian, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway. <laughs> well, let me um, correct myself. It's King Milinda ah, with King an M. Yeah. And Nagasena is the, uh, the monk interlocutor. Mm-hmm. Nice two-bit word there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so where were we? Um, I think we were talking about the skandhas. Uh, the skandhas and the, the impermanence of the skandhas and how that leads to this idea of no self. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we were also talking about how this is an uncomfortable conversation. And mm-hmm. I think that people, when they first hear this, sometimes don't like it. It's scary. Yeah. Um, and that I think there's, I, I don't know, I sometimes get the sense that there's this tendency to interpret it in a way so that there still is some sort of self mm-hmm. um, whether or not that's right or wrong is, mm-hmm. is up for debate um, but I think that's it's an interesting sort of response mm-hmm. well but in uh, western culture the self is very important oh yeah right and a strong a sense bit. of self a healthy sense of self right low self-esteem is right. not a good thing right you want to have healthy self-esteem you don't want to be arrogant but that idea of self is considered very important, mm-hmm. right, in Western society. Uh, so in a way, I think this idea of no self could be even terrifying, right? You mean I spent high school and college trying to build up myself, and now you tell me I don't have one, right? So in that sense, I think... Uh, I yeah, bought all of these self-help books? Yeah, <laughs> self-help, right, even <laughs> built into the title, right? Yeah, yeah. Denial is not a river in Egypt. Anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, the episode of bad puns. <laughs> Um, but but, regard, but I don't know. I think that maybe this is just my particular worldview, but I somehow think that when we come across ideas that are uh, disquieting mm-hmm. or that frighten us a little bit, um, you know, that it sometimes does, it's a good idea to actually stay with those ideas and stay with those thoughts and really think about them and really, mm-hmm. you know, investigate them and figure out not only what the doctrine really is, what it's really saying and why it's saying what it's saying, but also ask ourselves, well, why is it? 
that I'm having this reaction? Mm -hmm. What is it about this idea that is so scary? Mm -hmm. Rather than just sort of saying, ah, I don't like this idea. Let's reinterpret it or let's reject it or. Oh, right, 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 right. No, that's a really good point. I think you're right. And I think that uh, on a more local sense and like BCA specifically, there are certain issues that have come up and it was almost too much in the 60s or 70s or 80s or now or whatever. And so one response is to well, kind of talk it down, right? And mm-hmm. kind of, well, it's not that big a deal. And actually, that's not the way it is. And like hell, for example, there's still people that say there's no hell in Buddhism. And if you pick up most any book in Buddhism, like introductory book, there is hell in Buddhism. And it's obvious that there are... Uh, there is a sense, a, a certain understanding of hell. And so where did this idea that there is no hell in Buddhism come from, right? And so I think it's because for a lot of people, they didn't want to hear the hellfire and brimstone, you're an evil sinner with original sin and right. this kind of uh, stereotype uh, Christian kind of yeah. uh, understanding. So they went the other way and said, well, Buddhism doesn't talk about that. Right. Well, yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah and, and the same thing with the hell and the various cosmologies within Buddhism I think talking about them was is very important mm-hmm. you know not only because it gives us a sense of our shared history but also because those are some important teachings whether or not we take them as literally true um, is part of that conversation but I mean implicit within them are these great teachings about you know they're basically morality plays mm-hmm. you know and how to live your life you know and but why should I have to live myself in a moral my life in a moral way if there's no cell ah <laughs> <laughs> Score two. <laughs> That's a That's very one good question. E- That's an excellent question. Hey, hey, you got me there, so we can share the credit. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the issues is if there is no self, mm-hmm. then great. I don't have to worry about anything because there's no self to be punished or to have to take responsibility. Right. Right. And I don't, that's not what it's teaching. No. And I think that to refute that point, it's important to remember the idea of karma mm-hmm. and that even if there is no self in a traditional soul, individual, ego kind of way, we're still creating karma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's also a fundamental Buddhist teaching. Right. right there right. might not be an individual, you know, everlasting permanent self, but nevertheless, whatever this is, this can, you know, conflagration of various skandhas mm-hmm. <laughs> is still creating karma mm-hmm. is still doing something and that has consequences yeah and so that's one of the issues is the issue of continuity I think mm-hmm. and this issue of self right and that it might seem like if there was no self then if there was really just on an absolute level no self any level then yeah there would be no continuity but I had experiences yesterday that I can remember and that affect who I am today. I had experiences 10 years ago, 20 years ago, experiences in the womb maybe even, uh, or as an infant. I wonder about that sometimes, you know, like those first two, three years, everyone's different, their first memory, right? But things that happen to us as an infant affect who I am too. Mm Mm-hmm. But I still have to use that word I, and there appears to be some kind of self there. There is, I think that there is a sense of continuity and that's karmic continuity, right? That there, there is this continuity. And I didn't, I wasn't someone else yesterday. And then I kind of pop into this existence for now and then pop into another existence tomorrow or in the next second. There is this sense of continuity. And so what is that? Isn't that the self? Uh, and I think... Nope. Nope. Yeah. 
what you think. Well, one way that I've come to understand it, uh, there's an idea in Buddhism of the two truths. Mm-hmm. And the two truths are ultimate truth, which is kind of like Buddha reality. Right. The truth is, that we can't talk about. It's the inconceivable. We don't actually know because we're not enlightened. Mm-hmm. Right. Because of our ignorance, we're not uh, aware of the, the truth. We can learn about it. Uh, if we could attain enlightenment, we'd awaken to it. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, uh, it's, it's, it's something other. And so there is, though, in, in uh, this goes back to India, right, conventional truth as well. Because if that ultimate truth is inconceivable, if it cannot be attained by rational means, if language can't uh, predicate anything about it, then we're in trouble. So why do we have all these sutras? Why do we have all these treatises? So that's, I think, one way that this idea of two truths developed was that, no, there is this conventional level, and there is language that points towards that ultimate truth. There can be meaningful discourse. It may not uh, result in immediate awareness of that truth, but it points us in that direction. Right, and that pointing in that direction, I think, is the important phrase there, right? Mm-hmm. That the, the conventional truth is merely leading us toward this realization of the ultimate truth, but the sutras, the stories of the Buddha, everything, you know, the Dharma in, the Dharma in full really is, is, with, is, is written in the discourse of conventional truth mm-hmm. about ultimate truth. Right. And that goes back to the famous <clears throat> phrase of like a finger pointing to the moon. Right. Right, which you may know from Enter the Dragon. Uh, you may know from like kind of Zen stories. But my understanding is it goes, uh, it can be found in Nagarjuna's writings mm-hmm. where language uh, should not be understood. Don't mistake the finger for the moon, right? That the finger is pointing towards the moon, the moon being ultimate truth and the finger being this kind of conventional thing pointing towards that. But the mistake is to think that the finger is the moon. So the mistake is to attach to the words. Right. The mistake is to attach to this conventional reality. Which is a very important point because when, one of the things we were talking about before we started recording was how you were saying that, you know, oftentimes we say, well, there is no self, and then we get attached to this idea of no self. Mm-hmm. But that perhaps it's not so much that there is no self, but that what we're really trying to do is go beyond this, uh, what you might call a binary duality between self and no self. Right, right, right. But that the ultimate, you know, from the point of view of ultimate truth, well, there is no self, and there's also no no self, and mm-hmm. there's and neither... No, Go ahead. No self and no self. No, no self and no self. Never mind. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) the point is to to sort of go beyond that and say, well, you know, this teaching of no truth is is one way to look at it, or of no self, is to look at it from the point of view of letting go of our attachment to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the question becomes, well, why? For what purpose? Why is letting go of yourself? A good idea. Well, if you let go of yourself too much and try and deny the self somehow, then uh, you will uh, have to deny the law of karma, and you will um, not take responsibility for your own actions. And it's important to remember that Buddhism does have say things about behavior in the world, right? And that uh, at least from a certain point of view, you know, that um, killing people or causing harm, right? Uh, no self. There's no karmic recompense for any of this, so I can do what I want. Right. That's uh, we said at the beginning. That's not the. That's not what it's trying to say, right? And that the Buddha still uh, uh, upheld the law of karma, 
within this conventional world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if I can back up just a little bit, one of the things that really helped me in understanding no self comes from uh, the writings of Tan Luan, who's a Chinese uh, master of Buddhism, and Shinran uh, quotes from him a lot, although he doesn't quote this section. But this relates to Nembutsu too, because in his uh, commentary on the uh, discourse on the Pure Land, it's interesting because, uh, let's see, there's this phrase, I single-mindedly take refuge in the Buddha of unhindered light. Mm-hmm. And it's in the Chinese, ga yi shin. It's like, it's, it's there, this ga, this self, I single-mindedly take refuge. So he has the, his questioner says, self is non-existent in Buddhism. Why is I mentioned here? Which is great. I love it. Someone's really directly addressing it in this ancient text, right? So the answer is, generally speaking, there are three reasons for the use of the word I as follows. A, wrong view that a permanent self exists in an individual. So he directly says, if you're thinking about some permanent abiding self, that's wrong view in Buddhism. So he upholds the idea of no self. Uh, B, self-conceit. I like that. So saying, you know, you can say I in a very arrogant sense. It's all about me, right? Me, 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 me. I, me, mine. Right? So then C, ordinary language of distinguishing self from others. Interesting. So this idea of ordinary language, which I think harkens back to conventional truth versus ultimate truth. So in a conventional sense, we're all dealing in this conventional reality. So he says, when Bodhisattva Vasubandhu said, I, he simply referred to himself as in ordinary language. He did not use it with a wrong view or with self-conceit. Yeah. That helped to realize that, you know, when you see I in Buddhist texts, you have to take into account, well, how is it using it? In what sense is he using it? The Buddha used I. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, and did refer to selves, but in a conventional sense, not uh, affirming some kind of uh, permanent, ever-abiding right. self. Right, Yeah. So that's what it's cutting against, is thinking that there's some permanent, uh, everlasting self there. Right. And I think there is, like earlier you were saying, this continuity between one moment to the next, and I think there is some sort of continuity, and I've heard various metaphors for talking about that, but mm-hmm, I think that mm-hmm. the, it is pointing to, that, pointing to that idea that there is no permanent or everlasting sort of self. And, you know, the Scott and Harry that existed 20 years ago, have, they have relationships to who we are today, mm-hmm. but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, that's, you know, to go back to this idea of, well, it seems like there's a self. Well, yeah, that does seem like there's a self, but if you think about yourself and your life, you can look back at your life and say, oh, well, I'm really a different person mm-hmm. than I was before. There's a relationship, but it, you know, yeah. It's not the same. <laughs> right, right, right. And, I, you know, I think it does help in a way break down the sense of self, the, the too strong sense of self, right. the arrogance maybe, or the egocentric yeah. um, view or um, way of being, right? And that you don't have to deny yourself. You don't have to get all depressed and nihilistic, right? But that um, to hear that, I think, is interesting. And maybe it would make us question ourselves to learn something about right. myself. Quote unquote, and self. to see that there's this conventional use of the word self. Well, you know, if there's a conventional use, then what? What is it a convention for? And then that points us again to the sort of ultimate truth of well, you know, there is no permanent self. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
to really awaken to no self uh, would be very difficult, I think. I think probably the Buddha in his awakening may have awakened to that. Uh, and that's not necessarily the point to awaken to that. It's maybe impossible to do so uh, without attaining full perfect Buddhahood. Right. Uh, but I think that we can still listen to these teachings and learn something from it, and maybe it'll uh, give us a different uh, insight into our lives. Uh, yeah. I hate when I do that. <laughs> I can't finish my, my thought. There's other things, like um, the, the Japanese expression is muga, uh, but there's another way you can write it, higa. Like the mu is a negating kind of thing, but he is a different kind of negative prefix. So I've heard it referred to as no self versus non-self. Mm. I don't know, right? Is But that that's another way to answer the question maybe, that it's not saying there's absolutely no self. Yeah. That, that by saying higa, that there's some kind of self, there's some kind of subjectivity. Right. Right, this continuity that we're talking about, and so we're not denying that, but ultimately, right. no self. And you know, if you really want to get really deep into the five skandhas, right? I mean, one of the skandhas is consciousness, mm. and you necessarily have consciousness of something. And one of the things you'd have consciousness of would be your mental formations, and one of your mental formations would be memory. Mm. So you'd have memory of your former self. Mm-hmm. Is one way to think about. A, a really ab- abstruse way to think about the continuity issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's just to really point out that there is some sort of continuity through time, even though all those things change. Mm-hmm. And they're re- But they're all related, too. I think that's the other important thing to remember, right? right, right, right. It's like one of the skandhas is your form, meaning your body. So your body has continuity through time. Biologists will tell you that your body is constantly regenerating itself. Right, 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 with the cells, right? right. That regenerating or whatever. Yeah. But there are still... That's still the same form, right? Not the same form, but mm-hmm. there is that continuity of form. Well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Hooray! Yeah, I was kind of worried about talking about no self eh. uh, because it can be kind of uh, difficult, but I think we... We muscled through some, it. Yeah, we had some uh, good insights, I think. You, you uh, gave me some different ways to think about it and uh, thinking about that idea of the self-esteem and... and how it is kind of frightening. and But then I think the other side of that is that some people may run with it in the other direction. Yeah, no self. Right, right. It means I don't have to worry about anything. So uh, don't we'll do and, that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, you might not have a self, but you have consequences. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll try. I think uh, we could take a middle way between awareness of this no self, uh, but also recognizing. The rejection is, yeah. is not quite the right, the right path either. Yeah. And this, we could certainly go on to thousands of other topics from this one topic, which is, I think, one of the interesting things about the no-self doctrine is that it's related to the skandhas and suffering and mm-hmm. karma and reincarnation. reincarnation. And, and I think we could spawn this one conversation into a numerable different directions. Yes. And perhaps we will. Yeah. So that reminds me, uh, if you do have any topics or anything you want us to discuss or any feedback, or anything you want to say to us. Or just general Buddhist questions. Yep. Uh, or even just saying hi. Uh, feel free to contact us, uh, either through the dharmarealm.com website, or through our Facebook page, or if you happen to bump into us somewhere, uh, feel free to ask. We can't guarantee we're going to answer, uh, but we'll do our best. Mm-hmm.
So this will conclude our discussion of No Self for the Dharma Realm podcast for October 3rd. Mm-hmm.